Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to this installment of AFC North Football Chat with Brian Diardo and Josh Edwards. We're going to be discussing the uh, Cleveland Browns and their chances to possibly uh, challenge the Steelers for AFC North supremacy. Uh, you know, we kind of heard similar talk last year about the Cleveland Browns and they were coming off a, a one-win season, and everybody, you know, was optimistic in Cleveland about Hugh Jackson and the Browns, you know, chances in year two. Uh, then, obviously, they had a winless season last year and, and obviously weren't able to live up to those expectations far from it. That being said, there, there were some bright spots for the Browns. Uh, defense finished fourth in the NFL. Uh, you know, the offense, you know, showed some signs, but, but ultimately the, uh, Deshaun Kaiser, they thought, wasn't the answer, and uh, they ended up – draft they ended up trading and getting Tyrod Taylor the Steelers on the other hand won their third AFC North title in four years however they are without Ryan Shazier this season they're also out without a trusted and true number four receiver uh so you know the Steelers you know they have some question marks but overall uh are the odds on end favorite to win their fourth AFC North title in five years and with that we bring on the show Josh Edwards also of 24-7 sports Sports. He's your Cleveland Browns writer. Josh, how's it going, man? How's your off season? And uh, obviously, as we've been talking about, a lot of optimism in Cleveland uh, this summer. Yeah, I'd say there's a lot of reasons for for optimism after the moves that General Manager John Dorsey has made. Um, of course, he was hired in December, and he set to work immediately trying to rechain, try to reshape the roster, and that started with. Uh, the release of Kenny Britt, and it just kind of snowballed from there. The team made several trades and free agent signings, and then that obviously led into the 2018 NFL Draft, um, where they made four picks in the first two rounds, including the number one and number four overall picks with quarterback Baker Mayfield and and cornerback Denzel Ward. So Cleveland has addressed a lot of positions this offseason. Definitely a little more reason for optimism compared to where we were at this point last year. Uh, But ultimately, this is all stuff that has been done you know, in official paperwork. This is all stuff done through the NFL. Cleveland hasn't played a single game yet. We don't know what they're going to look like. So until they start proving that they can win some games on the football field, I think it's probably uh, you got to have a little bit of cautious optimism as it relates to the Browns. I think the biggest question, Josh, is, and now let's center it now to the Steelers. Can the Browns compete with the Steelers this season? Well, Colin Cowherd, uh, said yesterday or Wednesday on his show, what, then, depending on when you're going to listen to this podcast, said the Browns are the most improved roster in the NFL. He thinks they're going to be second, I'm sorry, third in the AFC North behind Baltimore, ahead of Cincinnati. Now, you said last year that the Browns were going to be ahead of Cincinnati, uh, and it wasn't, they weren't able to do it last year, but uh, it seems like you're going to be right this year. Um, but I think the first question before we really tackle, you know, really you know, look at the Browns and Steelers specifically. Who do you think is going to be the Browns quarterback for the duration um, in, in 18? I mean, and how do you feel about Tyrod Taylor? Uh, he had an up-and-down career in Buffalo, was kind of jolted in and out of the lineup. Um, I, I thought he started to thrive under Rex Ryan and then certainly last year helped the Bills make the playoffs. Uh, so what do you think about the Browns quarterback situation? And ultimately, who do you think is going to be uh, the future of the franchise behind center? Yeah, a couple of, you know, very different questions there. I'll start first with 
kind of addressing Tyrod Taylor and the quarterback situation in general. Um, you know, as any fan in the AFC North knows, the Browns have been a turnstile for starting quarterbacks over the years since their return in 1999. Um, and accuracy and consistency have been two things that have kind of, uh, you know, held those quarterbacks back. We've not seen a consistent, accurate quarterback for the Browns since they did return. So I think those are two attributes that general manager John Dorsey did look for when he was trying to rebuild that room this offseason. And when you look at Tyrod Taylor, he's been as consistent and accurate as just about any quarterback in the NFL. He's uh, got a very low um, interception to touchdown ratio when under pressure. He's got a very low ratio when he's in a clean pocket. So that's a guy that just does not put the ball in, in a threatening position too often. And then the same thing can be said for Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield had a very high touchdown to interception ratio in college. Um, he did not put the ball in harm's way very often. A guy that maybe does not possess the strongest arm of a Josh Allen or uh, possibly even Sam Darnold, but he's got a strong enough arm to be successful in the NFL. And he's already got the accuracy, the moxie that you kind of hope to see from an NFL quarterback. So I think there are reasons for optimism there as well. Um, I think he's your long-term option at the quarterback position, but I think Tyrod Taylor certainly holds it down at the position for this year and possibly another one or two years beyond that. He's only under contract for 2018, but it really is just going to be determined by how quickly Cleveland is going to be able to bring Baker Mayfield into the fold because if they're competitive in 2018, they're not going to want to turn it over to a guy that they still have some questions about going into the 2019 season. Yeah, I agree, Josh. And, and to me, I mean, you look at the differences between the Steelers and Browns since Cleveland came back in 99. I mean, the Steelers in large during that stretch have had a franchise quarterback. They've had continuity and stability in the front office with the head coaches, with the GMs. I mean, they've had Kevin Colbert at the helm since 2000. He technically is the Steelers' first GM ever. They've had presidents and whatnot, but he really is their first GM. He's done, a, I would say, a very good job. Um you know, year in, year out, the Steelers had chances to win Super Bowls. Um, Cleveland obviously has had a lot of turnover. Uh, I know one specifically, Mike Holgram, you know, I think earlier this decade, and I thought that was actually going to be a good move. Ultimately, it wasn't. Uh, so it seems like the Browns, though, now they, they have, you know, a management in place that, that wants to win. They've got Hugh Jackson, which I know was a coveted coach in Cincinnati. Uh, I know Marvin Lewis and, and, and the Bengals did whatever they could to try to keep him. He ultimately left for Cleveland. They have uh, Todd Haley. They brought in Chris Hubbard, who I thought was was a, was a really good move. The Steelers didn't even try to re-sign him because they knew he was going to command a lot of money. And uh, he signed a very nice deal with with the Browns. He's going to be starting for them. So I, I know you you know they lose Joe Thomas. Uh, I, I thought last year Duke Johnson did a very good job uh, with them. And now you've got uh, Bradley Chubb, who Colin Coward also said he thinks will be the offense rookie of the year this year. So. You know, Josh, when you look at the Browns' offense, you do have Josh Gordon back, um, and, and I think he's still young enough where he can still be a prolific receiver in the league. Do you see the Browns' success being predicated more on the passing game or the running game this season? I think Cleveland wants to get back to a more traditional AFC North style in, in trying to hang their hat on running the football. Uh, they've got a very talented trio with, uh, Nick Chubb and Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson there now. Um, 
But at the same time, they've got some very capable options in the pass game as well to kind of help balance things out. Uh, you've got Josh Gordon. You've got Jarvis Landry. You've got former first-round pick Corey Coleman. You've got last year's first-round pick David Njoku at tight end. Uh, Seth DeValve, a former fourth-round pick from, from Princeton that's been very capable in the past game. So there's some options there. I think the, the one kind of real question mark for the Browns offense at this point is the offensive tackle position. I know you mentioned they signed Chris Hubbard, uh, formerly of Pittsburgh, in the offseason. He's expected to start at right tackle. But then you have Joe Thomas at left tackle, and no matter who you put there, he's not going to be as good as Joe Thomas because Joe Thomas has been the gold standard at the left tackle position for the past decade, and no one is going to step in and fill those shoes immediately. So Cleveland hopes to run the ball. Um, They should be able to do so very successfully between the tackles. The question is if they're going to get enough production out of those offensive tackle positions to be able to run outside of the tackles. And then you're really having a problem for opposing offense or opposing defenses because you can run the ball inside, you can run the ball outside, and you can certainly push the ball downfield with Tyrod Taylor and the vast number of wide receiver tight end options that they have this year as well. Plus, you've got Todd Haley, a guy that I have a lot of respect for as a play caller, certainly done a good job with the Steelers and the Cardinals in the past. So lots of reasons for optimism. But, again, nothing is won on paper nothing is going to matter until they start turning some of this positive talk, this new upgrade in talent into wins on the football field. And that doesn't get a chance to start until September 9th against those Steelers. Exactly. Yep. Two years in a row, Steelers and Browns will kick it off. And it's interesting because you look at the last couple of times uh, the Steelers and Browns have played, you know, both games last year were one possession affairs and, if T.J. Watt doesn't come up with a big interception late in the game off of Kaiser and Antonio Brown doesn't make a ridiculous catch on the near sideline on third and long, I think there were at least two or three Browns defenders there, and Brown just did an Antonio Brown thing. The Steelers you know, are, are in very serious jeopardy losing that game. And then the quote-unquote meaningless game, which I never think a Brown-Steelers game is meaningless at the end of the year, two years in a row – uh, the Steelers have hosted the Browns in a, in a Week 17 game that technically didn't mean anything in terms of the Steelers' playoff seeding or anything. Uh, the Steelers won the game, I believe it was 28-24, so another close one. Um, you know, to me, when you look at Todd Haley, it's going to be interesting uh, this season to see what he does in Cleveland because I think one of the criticisms of Haley, and I'm not talking about his relationship with Ben and all that stuff, I'm talking about him as a play caller. I think there were two things I think bothered people. Uh, it was kind of the quote-unquote bonehead things they would sometimes try. Uh, you know, the, the ill-advised trick play on third and two when the screen pass had been working or the draw play had been working or a safe pass to the tight end would have sufficed. You know, sometimes he does get too cute. Um, and, you know, case in point, you know, you look at the playoff game against Jacksonville. You know, it's fourth and one against the fastest defense in the league, and you pitch it wide to Le'Veon Bell, and it doesn't work, where – a lot of people would think, you've got a Pro Bowl fullback in Roosevelt Knicks, why don't you just try a fullback dive or, you know, something of that nature, you know. So, uh, to me, um, I think that is going to be uh, interesting to see because now with less personnel in terms of Le'Veon Bell and in terms of Antonio Brown and all those things, you know, maybe now Haley will more or less just stick to fundamental plays. But I was going to ask you, Josh, what you thought, and I'll get more about Haley in a second. Are Cleveland fans in general excited about Todd Haley and, and him coming over to Cleveland? Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
you talk about some of the the moments that got too cute in Pittsburgh and uh, you know, Hugh Jackson was guilty of doing the same in Cleveland. Unfortunately, he did not have the same levels of positivity that Haley had also experienced in Pittsburgh. So um, I think Cleveland is willing to trade maybe some of those cute plays in exchange for a guy that um, has also led a very dynamic offense in Pittsburgh. Um, so people were ready for Hugh Jackson to kind of relinquish those play-calling duties. Uh, I don't know that they necessarily expected a guy like Todd Haley to take his place, but they were really, they had really gotten to a point where they just wanted anybody that was not Hugh Jackson to call the plays. And that's kind of a crazy thing to even say because two years earlier, Hugh Jackson had been one of the most coveted offensive play callers in the game. Uh, Perhaps managing a full team kind of became too much for him and he was unable to, to, you know, to see the, the forest or the trees and, um, you know, I just – I think Cleveland was ready for a change regardless of if it was Todd Haley or somebody else. And Todd Haley was a big win for them at that stage. Um, as it relates to coaches in general, NFL coaches are just some of the most prideful, confident guys that there are. Uh, we see it every year. We see these former first-round picks that have been busted at their former teams. They get picked up by new teams because head coaches think that, okay, this guy is fixable and I'm the guy that's going to be able to fix him. They think that they are the smartest guy in the room at all times. So those kind of plays are going to happen regardless of, you know, it's Todd Haley in Pittsburgh or Hugh Jackson in Cleveland or really any coach across the NFL because there's just this supreme confidence that comes from being an NFL head coach or just a coach in general. And, uh, you know, that's probably what, what caused Haley's few missteps in Pittsburgh last season. But, to, to kind of draw to conclusion, yeah, Cleveland fans are pretty excited to have Todd Haley. And I think, too, hindsight's always twenty twenty. you know. And if Le'Veon turns the corner and gets a yard, and that's the other thing, too, you know, Steelers fans are upset, and I understood why. But it's also kind of like if you can't get a yard on fourth and one in the playoffs with your season on the line with an all-pro running back, you don't deserve to win. And, you know, whatever, and make your block, uh, you know, the Steelers off of the line, and, and Le'Veon's going to pick that first down up. So I, I think some of the criticism wasn't warranted, and I think that it was honestly, too, with the Steelers fan base mounting frustration with not winning Super Bowls. And it's always easy to blame the offensive coordinator. You're not going to blame the Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, you're going to blame the offensive coordinator. And so I think I think that's what it was. And I, and I think just for the Browns, it was a win because you're getting someone that knows not only the Steelers so well, but you're getting somebody that knows – the AFC North so well, because Haley's been in the AFC North for five years. He's coached against, and with great success, mind you, he's coached against Cincinnati and has had great success. Steelers haven't lost Cincinnati since 15, and a lot of that is because of what the offense has done. And, you know, you look at uh, the Ravens. Steelers have won. They haven't lost to the Ravens since midway through the 16th season, so they've won three in a row against Baltimore. Uh, you know, and they swept them uh, last year for the first time in a decade, so you know, Haley knows the North exceptionally well, and, I mean, shoot, he's a few plays away from winning the Super Bowl with the Cardinals a decade ago. So, I mean, Haley, you couldn't have asked for a better signing if you're a Browns fan. And it brings me and, – and, but, conversely, I think, I think the Steelers, uh, I think they did have to make a move because Haley – I mean, Haley and his lack of communication with Ben and their lack of uh, whatever functionality – 
cost them the number one seed uh, against, uh, you know, when they lost to the Patriots and they didn't have two plays set up there after the Jesse James touchdown reversal. I mean, again, this could be nitpicking, but and maybe they were, you know, drinking buddies. That still would happen. I don't know. We'll never know that. But, you know, that being said, uh, it, it wasn't uh, – it was pretty public knowledge that they didn't have the greatest of relationships. And, you know, when something like that happens with the season essentially on the line there when you're battling for a number one seed, uh, I think it's warranted now, if, you know, the way it played out, that you can criticize that. So, you know, but you know, I think Randy Finkner's going to do a great job. He was under Haley for several years. Um, and I'm sure the Steelers didn't like seeing him go to Cleveland, but that was the risk. That's the risk when you – when you get rid of Haley, I mean, if you keep him, you know, you, you know the pros and cons, and when you let him go, you just hope that he doesn't end up in the AFC North, which is what happened. Now we look over at the defensive side of the ball. Again, uh, this is the AFC North podcast, Josh Edwards, Brian Diardo, and in future uh, podcasts, I'm sure we'll delve, you know, more into the, the rest of the division, but I'd like to focus, and we're going to focus more right now on Steelers and Browns, since that's the subject of this podcast can Cleveland and are they ready to compete with Pittsburgh this season? Uh, not just in their two head-to-head matches, but possibly for the AFC North. And I think they are two different conversations. Um, but but let's talk on the defensive side. You know, with Todd Haley on the offensive side, you've got Greg Williams, and I, I thought he did a great job in Cleveland last year. Uh, you you remember Steelers fans remember in Week One? I mean, Ben was harassed. The offense couldn't get going. You know, uh, hold out or not, uh, Le'Veon Bell wasn't himself, and I think Cleveland's defense needs to get a lot of praise there. They also weren't letting him get any yards after catches. They were letting Le'Veon catch the ball, but as typical Greg you know, Williams' defense, uh, they allowed no yards after the catch. They were swarming, uh, and, and, you know, they finished the year ranked 14th in defense, which I thought was incredibly impressive given the lack of support they got on offense and an offense that turned the ball over a lot. I don't know exactly how many interceptions Deshaun Kaiser threw, but I wouldn't be surprised if he led the league in picks last year. So, you know, I, I know the Steelers, and we'll get to their defense, Josh, since without Shazier there's some question marks, but if you're a Browns fan, knowing your offense is going to be better this year, you've got to feel good about your defense and, and what potentially is, is coming in 2018, right? I think there's a at least a point
They added Michael Kendricks, the former Philadelphia Eagles linebacker, is depth. So I think there's a lot of positive additions to that side of the ball. You had Joe Schobert having a um, Pro Bowl season in his second year. Lots of reasons for optimism. Ultimately, health is going to dictate what they're able to do on that side of the ball. But, yeah, I think Greg Williams and his defense are bound to take a, a step up in the right direction just as the offense is set to do this season. Yeah, and, and I think that you nailed on one thing I really like, Josh, was was the depth. And that that actually brings me over to the Steelers, too. You, you know, depth is such a big thing in the NFL. You, you're going to have your stars, your, your Le'Veons, your Josh Gordons, whatnot. You know, you got to have your depth, though. And that's what got the Steelers last year. I remember saying going into the 17th season, the Steelers have the best roster in the now, I do think halfway through the season when the Eagles made the trade for Ajaye, they ended up with the best roster, and ultimately they won the Super Bowl. But I thought before that, the Steelers had the best roster. And it, with the exception of depth at inside linebacker, and lo and behold, the worst thing, and obviously it's health overall is more important, but from a football standpoint, when you lose Shazier at that point in the season, you're, you're, you're done. You're done. Because he was not only your best defensive player, he was – in the running for the Defensive Player of the Year award in the whole league. And Matatekovic, his backup, also suffered a shoulder injury against the Bengals, uh, and then he was gone. So now you've got LJ Fort, uh, a practice squad guy, you know, predominantly, and then you have to sign Sean Spence, who used to play for the Steelers and hadn't played in the NFL in two months. And ultimately, the Jaguars ate them up in the playoffs, and – you know, the Steelers did try to address it this offseason. They brought in John Bostic, who had 97 tackles in 14 games with the Colts last year. 26, so he's in his prime. However, he does have uh, a history of injuries. You know, the Steelers didn't draft a, an inside linebacker. They did sign undrafted rookie Matthew Thomas out of Florida State, who didn't have great stats at FSU, but, but nevertheless does have some potential. And you never know with unsigned rookies. A lot of them, you, you can go on every single team and find unsigned rookies to do a good job. But, but I think, Josh, that would be the Steelers' biggest challenge, uh, especially at the inside linebacker position. And then you look at the offensive line now with Hubbard gone. The Steelers also lost Gerald Hawkins, a mid-round pick a few years ago, who they were hoping would replace Hawkins. Now you're now you need Chuck Okafor, uh, your your fourth round pick this year. I'm sorry, your third round pick this year. You hope now that he can replace Hawkins as a swing tackle. That's a lot to ask for an offensive lineman. So, you know, I think those for the Steelers are for me the two biggest uh, keys for concern. Uh, the inside line, or I'm sorry, yeah, the inside linebacker position. Um, and and that being said, I, I do think you will see Edmonds. And you will see Marcus Allen, uh, the two safety rookies they drafted. I, I do think you will be seeing them play some inside linebacker this year. Um, but that being said, I mean, depth for both teams and, and for all NFL teams, as you know, Josh, is, is huge. I want to talk to you about uh, real quick the Steelers uh, and, and the Browns' potential predictions for this season. I, I you know, and I'll let you start first, and uh, I can filibuster here while. The question is going to be, first of all, what rookie do you think is going to have the biggest impact? For me, I think for the Steelers, it's got to be James Washington. I mean, for for James Washington, you lose Martavis Bryant, he has to be a great number three. He has to be because they need to keep the pressure off Antonio Brown. You know, one thing no one really talks about very much is the one year, you know, in the last several uh, that he hasn't had Martavis, uh, in 16, when he was suspended for the whole year, 
Uh, Brown had his worst fiscal season since 13, which was the year before Martavis was drafted. So, you know, he needs uh, Washington to complement Juju. And conversely, Juju now is going to have to step up into the role of the number two, which I think he will. He was essentially their number two last year, even though they had Martavis. He, he was the two. He will, I think, be moving into the slot, though, which, which I think Juju thrives on contact. He'll be okay. So for me, it's, it, it's James Washington. And uh, I, I think it's kind of hands down. I think Orkor Ford, the lineman, also will have a big season uh, filling in and helping and re- doing what Hawkins did. Uh, but those are my two guys to look at. Uh, what do you think, Josh, for the Browns? Who do you like as, as you know, the rookie that you really think is going to make a difference this season? Well, first I'll, you know, I'll say that I uh, handled a lot of the draft coverage for 24-7 sports this year. And uh, as you know, I was a much bigger fan of the James Washington and, and the Mason Rudolph picks than I was Terrell Edmonds. But, James Washington right, is a right, very you dynamic were. player, a guy, a guy that can push the ball downfield and make big plays. So I think that's a very exciting addition for Pittsburgh this upcoming season. I agree with you 100% there. For Cleveland's perspective, obviously you would want to look at Baker Mayfield, but you get a very competent quarterback starting right now with Tyrod Taylor, a guy that's already established a little bit of leadership in the locker room. Cleveland wants to sit Baker Mayfield for the entire season and allow him to um, kind of grow and become a more impactful player down the road in his career as opposed to throwing him to the fire and letting him get eaten up and have his confidence destroyed, as we've seen from several Browns rookies in the past. Um, So with that being said, I think you have to look at two players. You look at Georgia running back Nick Chubb, who they took in the second round, and you look at Ohio State cornerback Denzel Ward, who they took with the number four overall pick in the first round. I think those two guys are the ones that are poised to make the biggest impact for Cleveland. Chubb, obviously his impact may not be as easily measured as Denzel Ward's because Ward is going to be on the field consistently for the defense. He's a guy that's going to be tasked with following the guys like Antonio Brown and A.J. Green and some of these other established wide receivers across the league. As far as Chubb is concerned, Cleveland has said that they're going to ride the hot hand at running back because they do have three guys that they feel very comfortable with. We talked about Carlos Hyde. We talked about Duke Johnson and now Chubb. All three of those guys have been productive with the football in their hands, whether it was as a professional or in the collegiate level. Chubb is a guy that's very explosive. He was a five-star high school recruit, um, has just tremendous athleticism if he's able to stay healthy, and I think that's the biggest key for him because he has been injured a few times in his collegiate career at Georgia. So you've got to look at those two players, but I think Denzel Ward has the most easily calculated impact on this team this upcoming season of any rookie that the Browns drafted. Yeah, I'm glad to see what Baker Mayfield does. Uh, I I think, and I can't believe we went about a half an hour into this podcast as we're we're kind of getting near the end of this one. It's been a good one. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, Josh Edwards, Brian Deodor here, both from 24-7 Sports, AFC North Podcast. I, I'm excited about what Baker Mayfield brings. And, and, you know, one thing that I, I don't know if I heard it from you, I, I just kept hearing it, energy he brings every time he comes into the Browns facility. It, is He just picks up a room. And I know a lot of people are down on maybe his extracurriculars, and I know he had a DUI and all that stuff, but, you know, or the arrest and his – whatever, whatever it is, but, you know, I don't condone those things, but people are human. They do make mistakes, and I'm a big believer in second chances, and I think that 
he went to the perfect team for him, and I think that I also think if he was available, the Steelers would have gotten him. If, if he, if what happened to Mason happened to him, they would have grabbed him, I think, too. Um, but I, I, I just think that Mason brings gives them. I'm sorry, not Mason. Um, uh, Baker brings the Browns a moxie that they need. You, you need that, and and that's where with with Ben and Mason, um, you know, I, I, I think that sometimes a rookie quarterback just brings an excitement to a team in a city that you can't manufacture. And as much as I, as I loved, I've loved watching Ben and, uh, you know, I, I, he's a hall of fame, future hall of fame quarterback. Pro, I mean, I'm I'm guessing a first ballot for sure. There's not really anything missing on his resume. At this point, he's only enhancing his hall of fame resume at this point in his career. Um, I think sometimes maybe people are just used to having Ben and, and I remember Ben's rookie season, that spirit that he brought. Uh, so, I mean, do you, do you think, do you see any scenario though, Josh, that, that Baker does start the season and not, not because of injury. You just think that they've like, you know, they've seen enough and, and they want to go with, uh, with Baker. Or do you think it is strictly Baker sitting this season? That's it. No debating it. Pending an injury. I honestly believe that their full intention is to sit Baker Mayfield for the entire season. With that being said, if you do want to kind of look at a scenario that's possible, um, if Cleveland starts out slower and they're not in the playoff hunt by, you know, week 10 of the season, if they're not legitimately in the mix, then maybe, you know, you start hearing the murmurs with, with inside the building that uh, you, you give the rookie a chance. Put him out there, let him get his feet wet, uh, get him some experience for the 2019 season as opposed to, you know, just putting him out there for the first time and letting him experience all of that, uh, you know, for the first time in 2019. There are certainly reasons that you could make for Baker Mayfield to get some play before the end of the, the 2018 season, but I think Cleveland has honest intentions of playing Tyrod Taylor for the upcoming season. Um, I think that they are expecting more as a team. I think they expect a lot from Tyrod Taylor as a quarterback. And honestly, I think that's that's not misguided. I think that they are truly – in a much better position this year than they were a year ago. There's improvements on both sides of the ball. Um, I'm much happier with, with Todd Haley as a play caller than I would be at Hugh Jackson, just based on how he kind of looked kind of overstrung at times last year um, with all the other duties that come with being a head coach. So I think Cleveland is in a much better position. I think as long as Tyrod Taylor and the Browns are hovering around a 500 level, I think he's going to stay the starting quarterback. And I fully expect them to be in that 7-9, 8-8 region this year when it comes time uh, for the end of the season. So, yeah, there is a scenario where Baker could play, but ultimately I do not think he sees the field in 2018. Yeah, and and honestly, I think Steeler fans would be okay with that because, honestly, I I really don't – I think that he's going to be very good whenever he does play. and. Honestly, you know, no one really knows what the best way to do it is. I mean, Brady sat for a year. Would he have been ready as a rookie? Who knows? You know, Ben played immediately. Whether or not that, how much that helped him, I think it helped Ben immensely. Because then the next year, he was ready to win a ring. He knew – he hit the rookie wall in the playoffs in, in 04. And I think that Ben uh, learned from that. I think it's – it all depends on the situation. Because you don't want – if you don't have an offensive line that, that's ready – 
I don't think that you should put a quarterback in that situation. I remember Manziel in 04, they moved him halfway through the season, and his first game, I believe, as a starter, they threw him to the Wolves in Cincinnati, who had a very good defense that season, and Manziel, in my opinion, was set to fail. And I think that you can't do that with a rookie. And I remember, you know, Tim Couch in 99, kind of the same thing where, you know, he had no uh, – and he, I thought he played – I thought Tim Couch gets a raw deal still to this day, but that's maybe for another podcast. But, uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I think if the Browns do what you're saying they're going to do, I think that that is the right move because you've got a team that is going to compete. Hopefully they think that can compete for the playoffs and he's going to learn from a, a very capable starting quarterback that, that has experience in a playoff run, and, and I think it is going to set the Browns up for some success. So some parting comments, and we hope again you guys have enjoyed the show. Uh, Josh, what do you think is going to happen with the Browns this season? And uh, a two-part question, you know, do you think uh, – or, or what do you think is the thoughts in that building? Is it is, – is playoffs kind of – for the Steelers, it's, the standard is to get – two and win the Super Bowl. For the Browns this season, is is the standard we have to make the playoffs? No, I don't think they have to make the playoffs. I think the goal is but no, but do you to think that the is playoffs, the standard that's in that in that in that I'm sorry, do you think that that's the standard yeah, in the facility yeah. right now? Like we we're here to go to the playoffs. Like we're here to compete to, to get into that tournament. Absolutely. I think that should be the mentality in, in every NFL locker room. Obviously, that's more realistic in certain uh, ones. It hasn't been re- very realistic in Cleveland up until probably this season. Uh, but, yeah, I think they fully expect to be in playoff contention when it comes to the end of the season. Now, me personally, I think that is a little bit too too hasty because I've – seen the NFL enough to know that when you have as much change as the Browns have had at very key areas, offensive coordinator, quarterback, you've got changes on the defensive side of the ball at the safety positions, you've got new running backs, wide receivers, yada, yada, yada. When you have that much change, it just takes time to get everybody on the same page. And I think that's ultimately what's going to be Cleveland's biggest deterrent this upcoming season. I think if you start getting some of that continuity headed into the 2019 season, then you are much more realistic in contention for the playoffs than what they will be this season. But I think seven and nine is probably where I'm going to go for the Browns at this point. I think that's a very respectable change given the fact that they're coming off the second winless season in NFL history. Yeah, I I think so too. Uh, And this will be the last question. Do you think the Browns will beat the Steelers this season? For for me, I think – they certainly can, and I think that the Browns. Uh, I, I, see, I think Josh for them. I think seven and nine is is a great season. I think that's where the Browns will finish. I, I think they. It'll be one of those seasons where you can look back and say we could have won ten games if things would have won our way, ten or eleven games. But they didn't, and, and I think the Browns finished seven and nine. Cause I, I think the first step in becoming a playoff caliber team. I, I, I don't think you could go from zero and sixteen to to 10 and 6. I, I think you, you've got to have a season where, you know, you, you win seven games, you, you get on the brink, you're kind of, you get used to being in that in that mix in November, late November, early December. Uh, I, I just, it's almost like the NBA. I don't think you can skip steps. And so I, I think that, I think that ultimately um, the Browns will go 7 and 9. I don't, I'm not going, I'm not going to say they're going to be Steelers yet. They certainly can. I, I think this is a Browns team I mean, shoot. I mean, they almost pulled it off in week one last year. 
Um, I, I do think the Steelers are way more equipped this season in week one um, if Le'Veon is, is rusty. James Conner apparently is in great shape, way better shape than last year. Um, you know, they've got Jalen Samuels, who they drafted, Stephen Ridley, who finished the year well for Pittsburgh last year when Connor got out with an injury. So I, I like the Steelers in week one, um, you know, but I'm not ruling out the Browns. I think, I think the Steelers still sweep Cleveland, but I do think Cleveland has, certainly has a chance to be Pittsburgh, and I, and I think that they will finish. I think they'll honor I, – I, I think they will make Colin Coward look good, and they will uh, finish third in the division with a 7-9 record. See, I'm going to say Cleveland gets one somewhere because I think obviously Pittsburgh has gotten the better of Cleveland on the winning side of things, but generally I think it's a very it's a pretty competitive rivalry in the sense of the score, and I think Cleveland's been there at times in recent years where they could have very easily beaten Pittsburgh. I'm going to exclude the games late in the season where Pittsburgh has had nothing to play for because – that's just, you know, it's it's really not worth bragging about that you were close to beating that team. But I think Cleveland has had other opportunities to beat Pittsburgh, even at full strength. Last year, week one was one of those opportunities. And now you have all this familiarity. You've got Hugh Jackson in the third season that's familiar with what Pittsburgh wants to do. You've got Greg Williams, who's getting a second look at the Steelers, or a third look, if you want to count the uh, week 17 matchup last year. And you've got Todd Haley and his experience against the Steelers. So there's a lot of familiarity between the two teams. I think Cleveland is much improved. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Pittsburgh overlooked them one game. And Cleveland sneaks one out somewhere. I don't think that Cleveland's going to be favored for either, either game. I think Pittsburgh's the better team. But I think Cleveland is kind of a trap team for a lot of teams this year in the sense that they probably will steal one from Pittsburgh at some point. I like it, man. I think if Cleveland wins one, it'll be the second game. I think the Steelers have a lot of big prime time games, second half of the year. I think maybe they sleep on Cleveland at home. Maybe there's a late arriving crowd. It's crazy where this quote unquote rivalry has come. Where I remember as a kid growing up, you read the history books, and Cleveland would have like a 51. I remember specifically, I think, seeing like the Browns had a 51 35 advantage or something like that, or 51 36 at one point in the series, and now it's totally flipped. The Steelers are in the 70s and wins over Cleveland, and I think at this point, or something like that, and, and the Browns are still in the 50s. So, uh, but for those of us that are north of 30 or maybe even late 20s, we, we still have a vague uh, memory of the rivalry and, and when it was somewhere around its height. And uh, I would like, I think both of us, Josh, can agree, we would like to see this rivalry. Uh, we don't want to see any more meaningless games between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. I think we both can agree on that. Oh, for sure, because it's, it's two of the most storied traditions in NFL football. Um, obviously not as recent for Cleveland, but there's a lot of history with Paul Brown, Jim Brown, um, you know, Bernie Kosar, Otto Graham, the names go on and on. Pittsburgh's got their own examples um, in, in that same breath. So it's just a very historic rivalry, and I think the style of football that both teams want to play would be very fun for the NFL to get to experience. I think – to see Cleveland competitive with Pittsburgh once again and to have those those close games where the game could be either way it's determined by uh, a possession or two would just be great for the game because I think fans just generally enjoy those types of long-term rivalries that, that are actually rivalries at this point. Um, you know, we've seen some other rivalries that have not been nearly as competitive that – 
uh, have been able to kind of, you know, change kind of the tune of games here in recent history. So I think it'd be awesome to see the Browns and Steelers have a competitive rivalry once again, and I think that would be great for the NFL game in general. I think so, too. I think that, because honestly, the Ravens-Steelers has kind of cooled off a little bit. So I, I think it would be awesome for a new rival to kind of come in. And, and Steeler fans never really wanted to give the, uh, the Bengals their due as a rival. It's almost like OC Michigan at this point where one looks at the other as almost like a little brother just because the, the Bengals don't have the history that the Browns do. And I think the Browns, no matter what their record is recently, I think they're always a respected foe in Pittsburgh. So I think it would be interesting. So, Josh, thanks again for – Coming on, we'll do plenty more of these as the 2018 season continues to get closer. For Josh, this is Brian signing off, and we wish you a happy and healthy remainder of your summer.